Welcome to Simple Theology, a podcast connecting theology to everyday life. I'm Robert Kane, and I'm doing this intro solo, so you're not going to hear from Rick. However, he is on the episode, and we discuss something that you guys may have already seen. It's Ligonier's 2022 State of Theology. So this is a report that they do every two years where they're asking people throughout the nation various theological topics, and you get to see how different people respond. So some of the questions are like, does God learn and adapt to different circumstances? Does God accept the religious practice of all religions? Um, Does God change with time? Uh, Some of these things are very interesting. Some of the results are discouraging. Some are encouraging. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as we kind of unpack some of these results. How's it going, man? Good, dude. Uh, feeling pretty good today. Yeah. How are you doing? Hey, how about those Browns? Oh, man. Sure how about I'm those sure Browns? If I'm a Browns fan anymore or not, but it was good to see him beat the Steelers last night. Yeah, that was... So. Steelers are a mess. At least offensively, we're a mess. But I like Mitch Trubisky. Score, scoreboard, but, scoreboard would say defensively, too, but it's fine. It's, it's whatever. Yeah, in my fantasy league, I had uh, the Steelers defense, too. But without TJ Watt, we're a we're different, different defense. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, not, you, not a good night for Steelers fans. It's all right. It's all right. You guys are bounce back. You always do. The nice thing is that as abysmal of a throwaway that you guys had um, against the Jets, just talk about mm. throwing throwing yeah. a game away, flushing it down the toilet. Yeah, you yeah. guys only had to mourn a few days. So that was Sunday, and then you had a Thursday Thursday night game, and yeah. so you're already like, okay, we're two and one, we're leading the division, we feel good. So yeah, you should be three now. Popped up our chests a little bit, and we're feeling pretty good. Walking a little taller today. Exactly. Yeah. Unlike the Steelers. Other than that. Yeah. And and, uh, and really unlike uh, the state of evangelicalism as a whole and <laughs> our nation's state of theology, which we are getting into yes. today. Um. So yes. so, um. Some of you guys probably already heard. Um, other podcasts talk about this. We're certainly not the first horse across the finish line here, but this state of theology that Ligonier does um, every two years, I believe, is mm-hmm. is really helpful and kind of gives some trajectories as to what the nation is believing as a whole regarding particular Christian beliefs. And then also you mm-hmm. can filter it. And so you can see what the nation's believing and you can see what evangelicals believe. So if you guys haven't checked this out, um, highly recommend it. It's very visual, so it, it's very helpful with regard to digesting a lot of data um, in bite-sized chunks and very easily digestible chunks. But it's thestateoftheology.com. So mm-hmm. thestateoftheology.com, we'll link to it in the show notes. But basically, Rick and I, we just wanted to walk through a little bit of it. Um, and, and before we even jump in, Rick, do you have any like preliminary statements that you want to make about the state of theology? Um... There's lots of statements, and then there's 34 statements. 35 statements, <laughs> actually. 35. I would say, I mean, it was very discouraging in a lot of ways, and um, I'm still kind of like processing it. I read some of it yesterday, and then more this morning, and um, it will get into like just some of it, and it reveals like some of these answers that people who are answering the questions and they identify as evangelicals are not evangelicals. Right. And I, I think about this, the quote I heard from Paul Washer when he was just talking about essentially everyone's using the, the word the church this, the church that, and that the church are God's elect. Hmm. It, they aren't the people who answer surveys saying, I'm a Christian. Um, and good. so people want to, you know, dog on the church and all those things. And, uh, you know, there's, there is critique. It's good to be critical and, and to evaluate human broken people. But the reality is like God's people are going to be made perfect. Right. And so there's a lot of answers in here that what it's revealing is there's a lot of people who identify as Christians and they're not Christians. Right. And that's terrible. Like those are because, it's because they're, they're in churches that are affirming their views and then they're yep. not teaching good and right doctrine. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's a lot in here. Those are my initial thoughts rob how about you do you like how's this kind of hit you uh just discouraging i mean Mm -hmm. it's not it's not surprising but it's 
I think it's one thing to say it's not surprising and another thing for that thing that you kind of thought might be true in the back of your head to be affirmed. And so because yeah. because it's being affirmed, it, it's discouraging. So it's also yeah. motivating because yeah, sometimes sure. you feel like, hey, um, are we being too theology heavy? Uh, either in our mm. church or uh, in the yeah. things that I'm, I'm talking about. And you realize, no, we're not. Like, yeah. we, we need to educate our people. Um, I mean, the Lord says that my people die for lack of knowledge. And mm-hmm. people are perishing because they don't have a right knowledge of who God is. And so um, the, the claim that um, some churches are too theological or too heady, um, I think it's just a bogus claim, and this this state of theology um, reaffirms that. So, well, I would, I think that it's it's also hard because, like the verse says, knowledge that puffs up, right? And so, yeah. like, how do you help people have true knowledge? So that's saving faith. That's not just head knowledge. And then, how do you? I mean, this is the same battle for everyone, for us. How do you not? become comfortable because you have the right knowledge if that makes sense right like you have peace because you you feel like you you're studying the scriptures and you're working out your theology and that's good but you're not like content you're not just apathetic and settled if that makes sense yeah but to press on to know the things of the lord um it's good yeah yeah there certainly is knowledge that puffs up so we do need to be (laughs) leery of that one of the things that um, is a helpful reminder is that if if the knowledge that you're acquiring is puffing up, then it's short circuited. It, it's right. it's not as much knowledge as you think it is, because as, as our knowledge of who who Christ is increases, our our knowledge of who we are increases, and we realize how mm-hmm. fallen we are. And so, yeah. if if you're growing in your knowledge of the Lord and it's leading to arrogance, then then there's something wrong there. Right. Yeah. And we've said this, we haven't said this maybe for a while, but we just talk about like good and right theology makes you love the Lord more. Right. right. So it, it, if you're super um, astute and you're studying all these things and your heart is growing prideful and you're becoming arrogant and you're kind of chomping at the bit to show what you know and all those things, like your theology is faulty. Like you might be learning things about God, but you're not learning. You're not getting to know God. Right. You're not drawing near to Him. So, right. Keep watch our doctrine and our life closely. That's it. That's it. Okay. So let's jump into this. This um, we've we've got several things we want to point out here. So so real quick, if you do go to thestateoftheology.com, you will mm-hmm. see the graphic right there on the front that is kind of a circle with a line going through it, um, and the word the state of theology in the middle there. And you'll see that there are 35 sections in that. That's because there are 35 mm-hmm. statements that they asked in this sur- survey. And they, to my knowledge, they were true or false. Um, at least it says true or false. Some of these statements, some of these say strongly agree, somewhat um, agree, neutral. Yeah, I think the question is presented like, is this statement true or false? And oh, and then you respond with, uh, yes. Okay, answers, thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, and so you'll see on that first page, that image, and if you scroll down, you'll see what this this first page is is a summary and if you want to see each individual statement then you'll have to go over to a tab uh, where so the first tab says key findings the next tab says data explorer and from there you can see all 35 statements just kind of click through the arrow you can see each question and you can filter it down as to what their affiliation is what the income level is education gender uh, beliefs attend all this stuff so very helpful mm-hmm. For sake of making it easy, we are looking at not only what the overall response was, but then also those who affiliate as evangelical. So they're affiliated in some way with an evangelical church. And to further clarify things... Someone would say evangelical. Someone would say evangelical. Those are just the blue-collar people. That's right. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I have no idea. I have no idea either. But We don't know. Rick, um, as we talk about evangelical and evangelical, it would be helpful to get a definition Mm -hmm. as to how Ligonier is viewing that. So could you give us the definition? Yeah. So the way that they kind of map it out, they have these these four criteria. And um, if you've been a Christian, I would just say if you've been a Christian for a while, then you know that the um, the term evangelical has, in some spheres, a lot of baggage. It has a lot of kind of um, 
vagueness to it. Like, what does that mean? But here are four kind of clarifications. Uh, one, you believe the Bible is the highest authority for what we believe. Um, two, it is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Three, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. Four, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal life. Um, so this kind of clarification that you believe, man, you believe God's word, um, you believe it's important to share your faith with unbelievers, you believe because you believe that Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his uh, his blood paid the price for your sin, for your salvation, and it is only those who trust in Jesus for this that are will be saved for eternity. So some kind of broad but clear things. Um, so you're Catholics wouldn't be evangelical. Um, you are, for the most part, I mean, as a as a as a church institution, most Episcopalians, um, most more liberal Anglicans wouldn't be evangelical. Um, obviously, there's a ton of churches that would fall under the umbrella of Protestantism, but probably wouldn't be evangelical. Um, you're really progressive Unitarian churches, obviously, um, churches that have pretty much just walked away from the scriptures entirely would not be evangelical. So someone could even make the argument like your mainline, really liberal denominations, like the, the new Methodist denomination or the liberal split from that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can say they're not evangelical. Um, yeah. So, so that's the, the kind of the, the way they define that it's good. I think it's helpful because, Again, that term is thrown around all the time, and you're left wondering, what is an evangelical? Right. I would dare say most of our listeners probably are evangelicals. Um, oh, that's an assumption, but that's a guess. I'm guessing that's right, yeah. I, I don't look at the data <laughs> enough to tell you. you. Don't, you don't, I don't even know no. if I have access to that kind of data. I don't know what Red Circle provides, but yeah, I'm guessing most of the... You don't, you know, they don't have to do a survey before they listen to the podcast? Surprisingly, no. The, the bar for listening is... Here. Yeah, unreasonably low. <laughs> so yeah, so these are these are the, the statements of evangel of um, this is how they define evangelical. And then when they ask the question in the survey, they give responses for those just all U.S. adults, right? And that would include the evangelicals. And then they parse out and separate out the evangelical response. Yeah. And we're probably going to spend most of our time talking about the evangelical response because that's what's the most troubling. Yeah, the fact that there are Christians who, or there are people in America who um, don't believe the Bible is God's inerrant word. It's not surprising, but and yet, for someone are affiliated with an evangelical church, that's that's a real problem. Yes, and that's what I think we'll we'll find in a lot of this is the answers reveal that you're not actually an Orthodox Christian. Yeah, you're not even evangelical because you're denying things that that um are required to, to be an evangelical right so yeah right. okay so let's look at this um we're not gonna let's go through we're not it. gonna go through all 35 of these otherwise we'd be we'd be on here for three hours so if you are interested in seeing what each of these are hop on there the state of theology.com and i'll try to remember to link to it in the show notes but let's go through a few of these at least so i want to start rick with statement number three yeah and it reads this God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Yeah. So U.S. adult respondents? Uh, I think about 67% would agree or strongly agree. Yeah. Yep. So, and uh, and the evangelical response, 58% agree. 58% of evangelicals, evangelicals uh, (laughs) would... (laughs) Would agree that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, yeah. and yeah. Islam. And and per the definition we read a minute ago, and just the Protestant view and the Christian view, like you're not a Christian at that point. Yeah, yeah. I like mean, it, not, because because John fourteen six, Jesus says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Mm-hmm. So, right. no other religion who's trying to get to the Father, who's trying to get to God through any other means outside of Christ is able to get to God. Mm-hmm. 
You're just not, yeah. not able to. And so you can't say all are equally true because then you're saying that Christianity, who claims that Jesus is the only way, is equally true as that religion over there that does not claim that mm-hmm. Jesus is the only way. And so therefore you automatically have a contradiction. They can't both be right. Yeah. And yeah. so evangelicals would agree that because we say that the Bible is the highest authority, we read John 14, 6, and there are other passages, but for sake of time, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except mm-hmm. through me. That's Jesus speaking. Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm just playing with the data here a little bit. That makes me sound really smart, but like <laughs> I'm just shifting like, because you can modify this, like cities yeah. in yeah. rural areas. And when it comes to cities, it goes up the agree and strongly agree uh, agreement to the statement goes up um, by 8%. Oh, man. Right. So, which is a lot. Right. So you're into the 60, 60 some percent. But you go to, to rural area and it only goes down 3%. So it's still at 55%. Believe this. So, it, it you know, it's pretty much across the board, no matter where you live. The, the evangelical response is so dismal. Yeah. So sad. That is. Yeah. Not good. Not good. Um, I, I'm playing this as well. I went to the Midwest and did yeah. large and small cities. And yeah. Okay. So statement three, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, Islam. The majority of evangelicals believe that, which is very discouraging. Yeah. Um, so we, I mean, point taken from that, we need to continue to preach the exclusivity of Christ. There is no other way to get to the Father outside of Jesus Christ and Him alone, and that's part of the. That, well, I mean, that's that's part of the Reformation yeah. is Christ alone. Yeah, and this is this is something else I would say is, and this is a drum. I think I've been beating for a while, and this just reinforces like we need more churches. Yeah, like we we, I think the the idea that we're going to see mainline denominations or quasi healthy churches come back and return is, is gone. Hmm. Not to say we can't do church revitalizations, but we need to really be thinking and planning and praying to plant churches, to send people to help churches become healthy. And, um, you know, we have, we're a small church proclamation church. You guys are a, a small church church plants. We're still in the early years but you have churches who've been around for decades and they have thousands of people. Yeah. And like, I'm not saying it's bad to have thousands of people. I'm just saying, is that, is that the most helpful thing we can do? Can we send more people out? Um, and then, you know, people want to pick apart that argument because I'll say, well, you know, we shouldn't have a church of a hundred people. We shouldn't have a church of 400 people. We should have churches of 20 people and all that stuff. Yeah. And um, not again, not that a church of 20 is bad either, but I just think that this is revealing the, the, the unhealth of the American church in the Protestant evangelical, right? So we're not talking liberal, you know, PC USA, liberal Episcopalians. This is, a, this is us. Yeah. So right. just like the show, not, not, the sh- yeah, not the show, <laughs> which you're a big fan of. Uh, no, no. You say you watch it all the time, every That's night, it. every night. I don't have it. an opinion on it. I haven't watched it enough. Rob, I, I can neither confirm nor deny. Yeah. <laughs> so those who are big fans of This Is Us, I am not saying that I disagree with it or that I don't like it. I just have not seen enough of it. Rob seen the politician. I like it. small chunks. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> My well-politicized answer. Um, okay, uh, so statement number four, God mm-hmm. learns and adapts to different circumstances. God learns yeah. and adapts to different circumstances. Oh. And go ahead, yeah, so fifty-two percent agree or strongly agree with this. Of this is just all all people respond all respondents. Yep. Right? Believers, non believers, whatever. Yep. And then for the evangelicals, forty-seven percent. Forty said almost half of the evangelicals surveyed would say, Yeah, God is kind of figuring it out and he's kind of nimble and he's just moving along with the system. Yeah. Trying to figure it out. Yeah. Nowhere. Which is wild. In scripture. Would you do you ever see this? No. No. I mean, I, people so, want to pull up the arguments about like God repented. Well, did, what's that? Are you going with the God repented? Well, that yeah, just some Old Testament instances where like I think God changed His mind or God did these things, and it's right. like no, if you actually st- just read the text, like you will understand that is not what happened. But yeah, people aren't reading the text. Yeah, and so a few Clearly. verses, a few verses here. Um, 
So the lowest hanging fruit is Malachi 3.6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, mm-hmm. you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. It's a good thing that God doesn't change. Because yeah. God is faithful to his covenant. He promises that he's going to preserve a people. And if he did change, then it would not be good for us. Uh, he, he says, right. I do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Like, don't worry, you're not going to be consumed because I don't change. And then we see Isaiah 46.10, where he says, um, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Mm-hmm. He says, declaring the end from the yeah. beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Nothing changes God's plans. He does all that he pleases. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just discouraging seeing, <laughs> seeing the things that um, have taken root in evangelical churches or within evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. So when I was, when I was at uh, Mount Vernon Nazarene University and um, my time there is what actually led me into wanting to go into full-time ministry because I had yeah. no idea that anybody taught the Bible the way that a couple of the professors there had taught the Bible. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I was introduced to while I was there was open theism, this idea yeah. that God does not know the future. It's also called process theology, which just denies God's omnipotence and asserts that he does in fact undergo changes. So these things I had never been introduced to. And now it's really discouraging that these things that were being taught were some of the things that pushed me into wanting to teach people the Bible. But it's discouraging to see that some of these things are beginning to take greater root within evangelical churches because these things go so blatantly contrary to what the scriptures say. Um, So to see that some of these results in these questions, I'm just, I'm frustrated by. Yeah. Well, and it's... it's just pointing to like what the systemic poor training and um, and we would say like this is why churches need to have a clear confession, a clear statement of faith. Yeah. And this is why you need to ask people what they believe and you need to hold people to it. Because when people are left to kind of, well, just kind of figure it out on their own, like I like this church, so I go to this church, but I don't really believe these things, but that's okay because, you know, I'm still like we all love Jesus. Therefore, we're all cool. It's all good. It's like, no. You need to be held to a confession yeah. that's orthodox. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the Lord it says God learns and adapts to different circumstances, um, which, I mean, that echoes contrary to First John 3.20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. If he knows everything, he can't learn. He can't adapt. Because if you were to change at all any variation of what he is, then him already being perfect any change would have to be to a less perfect state. If he's perfect, yeah. he can't become more perfect. He, he already is perfect. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't learn or, or adapt because he, he already knows everything. So frustrating to see these results, uh, frustrating to see open theism and process theology taking root. Yeah. All right. I agree. Next one, Rick, statement six. Uh, I'm way ahead of you. Can you, you already read ahead of me? No, I, I can get to statement six. Here we go. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Jesus is the first yeah, so, and greatest being created by God. Right. So hopefully you picked up on the issue with that. <laughs> um, Jesus was not the first created being. Jesus is God. And so it's it, interesting the second, because... Right? What's that? He's the second created being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe third. After the Holy Spirit. Somewhere in there. Yeah, right. It's a mystery, so we don't want to act like we can know. Because um, the Bible doesn't speak to those things. Uh-huh. Uh, so with that statement, 55% of all respondents agreed. 55% of everyone surveyed said, yeah, I agree. Jesus was the first created person by God. 61% of evangelicals agree with that. Yeah. It's just like astronomical. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, you're not a Christian. You are literally not, by definition, not a Christian at that point. Yeah. If you agreed to that. Yeah. I mean, this, this, so a few years, a few years ago, I was working at another company and I um, had a coworker who was Mormon and yeah. we, we met on Wednesdays over lunch and we would just kind of talk through some of the differences in belief. And the tricky thing about Mormons is that they like to use Christian verbiage, but they have different definitions. Uh-huh. So when they'll, they'll say yeah. we believe yeah. in the Trinity, which is a core tenet of Christianity. 
but their understanding of the Trinity is different than our understanding. So mm-hmm. if you have a, a Mormon friend or coworker that you're talking to, just, just be aware of that. And yeah. they view Jesus as a created being. They believe that he and Lucifer were uh, sons of God that were created and they're essentially co-equal in, in power. And so I had to just point out some simple things like John 1, 3, where we read that all things were made through him, through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And without him was not anything made that was made. So yeah. all things were created through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Colossians 1.16 also says, for by him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it'd be interesting to, to, to have, like, what, what would the survey have said 70 years ago? Right. You know, the middle of the 19th, or 1900s, the 20th century, like, were people just as a culture? Yeah, I mean, I feel like even those who didn't attend, I guess this is my point, those who didn't attend church who weren't Christians had better theology, so to speak, than those who claim to be Christians who, who go to church. Right. Which is shocking. And then you you would say, I mean, when you start thinking, yeah, he's a created being, um, he's the greatest created being by God. But he's the one who's supposed to atone for your sin. How is he supposed to atone for your sin? Right. How is Christ, who is a created being, worthy of paying the price for your sin? And so you just begin to ask these basic theological questions. And, you know, so it's interesting. Interesting. And it's very sad. Yeah, it is discouraging. I would say. Yeah. Okay, what's the next one, Rick? Well, the, um, the one that I kind of pulled out that I thought was interesting that I wanted to mentioned was statement nine the holy spirit is a force but is not a personal being so again having to do with really bad theology of the trinity people identify the holy spirit as a force but not a being not a person of the whole of the trinity the holy trinity and of everyone who responded 59 percent of all the respondents would say they either agree strongly agree or somewhat agree so there's a, a affirmative statement to that statement and then among evangelicals, 55%, over 55% of evangelicals responded that they either somewhat agree or they strongly agree to this statement, that the Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. Again, so, so 59% of U.S. adults and 55% of evangelicals five. agree that right. the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. So you're, you're out. Star Wars <laughs> like you're not. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, though. That's it. Like, this is the they have Star Wars theology. Yeah. <laughs> so, May the I force mean, be with you. That's what we're going to have as our benediction You would be, you would be you're this not week. a Christian. You're outside of orthodoxy. Not, a, not only are you not evangelical, like, you are, you are not an orthodox Christian in any sense. Yeah. There isn't a, an orthodox church, Catholic, um, Anglican, Eastern Orthodox, Protestant church that affirms that. Yeah. Yeah, and and some of the some of the passages we can get at First Corinthians two ten eleven where the the spirit searches out. We just see we see that th- there are various um, characteristics about the the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. So the one is the Holy Spirit is a thinking being. So he searches things out. Yeah, um, he finds things and um, identifies them. So you see in Second or First Corinthians two that he searches out and shows us even God's deep secrets. Um, then the Holy Spirit has a mind. We see Romans eight twenty seven. He searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Um, the Holy Spirit is an emotional being. He can because we we read that we can grieve the Spirit. Um, he can give and receive love. There's there's a whole list here, and maybe I should link to this, but it's off a of Blue Letter Bible, um, where we can see the various different aspects of the mm-hmm. personhood of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's all throughout the, the scriptures and to overlook, it just shows that we, and I'm saying we, because I consider myself evangelical, but our tribe has not done a good job of unpacking the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures and, and learning from the scriptures. We've taken our cues from other things such as Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, it's so true. Well, and, and the, I want to look at kind of two statements at the same time, both dealing with sin, 12 and 13. 12 says every 
sin, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. So um, there's this, yeah, we're in general good people. And 55% of evangelicals agree with that. 55% of evangelicals say, yeah, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature, right? So we know, we believe scripture would say they're not. And there is, there's some difference in evangelicalism about, you know, original sin and how that works out. Right. And we see, but the next statement, even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. And among evangelicals, um, 40% agree with that, that even the smallest uh, sin deserves eternal damnation, whereas 53% disagree. 53% of evangelicals would say, no, that's not true. We don't believe that even the smallest sin deserves um, eternity in hell. Again, like there's an element of at some point you cross over from poor teaching to false teaching. Right. And what we're seeing a lot of, I think, is not just the result of poor teaching, but false teaching. Poor teaching being no one really teaches on the on the Trinity, and so you kind of begin to adopt like yeah, the Holy Spirit's a force, I think, you know, that kind of some cultural ideas. False teaching is the opposite. False teaching is directly teaching things that are contrary to Scripture, mm. i.e. that maybe there's not a hell, or people don't deserve hell for eternity, um, those kinds of things. Right, right. And and Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of mm. God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, even, even the smallest sin yeah. leads to death. And yeah. we see that in the garden, where Adam and Eve broke God's one command to them of don't mm-hmm. don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they right. break that one law and take a bite of an apple. And yeah. people would say, man, just a bite of an apple sent all of humanity into a tailspin. And, said, mm-hmm. and just like that bite of the apple, yeah. every other sin that we ever commit is saying yeah. more than just what the sin is. It's, right. it's saying, I no longer am pledging allegiance to you, God. I'm pledging allegiance to something else. Something else is my God in this moment. Yeah. And yeah. I no longer am trusting you to be who you say you are. I'm no longer trusting you and your plans for me, for my life. I am taking matters into my own hands. And so it's saying yeah. more than what just we outwardly see. And to mm-hmm. do that one time is an act of rebellion against the high king. And to rebel against yeah. the high king means, okay, like you, you've, broken, yeah. you've broken his law and he's perfectly just. So therefore, a perfect judgment has to take place. You've, you've sinned against an eternal God, and so there's going to be an eternal punishment. And so mm-hmm. even the smallest sin does deserve eternal damnation. That's the consistent um, yeah. the consistent teaching of the scriptures. Our statement 15 is similar to what you're talking about. Everyone yeah. is born innocent in the eyes of God. Um, 70, yeah. 70% of U.S. adults agree with that. Mm-hmm. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. And right behind that, 66% yeah. of evangelicals yeah. believe that. Which is an interesting, um, yeah, I mean, it, it reflects obviously just statement 13 about everyone, or 15, where everyone, you know, is mostly, and everyone says people are mostly good. And I think that when we talk about what is innocence, and this is where people, again, need to be taught well, like, what holiness is, yeah. what it what it means that to be innocent in God's eyes, and that means to be perfect. Right. And I think that's where we want to kind of throw around words that aren't help that without defining them. You know, we we use the word innocent, meaning like you haven't committed the crime or you haven't done the thing or you're you're innocent of. You know, there's no charge against you. Right. But the charge has been proven innocent. God is holy and pure and perfect. So it's not just a matter of, well, I didn't do all the wrong things. I didn't commit the wrong things. It's like your nature is against God. Mm. Ephesians 2 says we're enemies of God. Yeah. And that's that's our nature. And so it's not a, an issue of, well, have they committed a sin or I didn't, you know, I didn't commit a sin until I was old enough to know what I was doing and and that's, you know, what, 5 6 7 maybe or whatever, the age of accountability, you know that whole thing, that's your nature. 
yeah. as against God. Yeah, this, um, you're not born innocent in the eyes of God. Right. The psalmist. Or the eyes of anyone. Yeah. The psalmist in Psalm 51, 5 mm-hmm. says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Yeah. It says from, from him being brought forth, he was, mm-hmm. he was in iniquity. And so he's born yeah, he says sinful. In, Romans 3.10. Yeah. Romans 3.10, as is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Nobody. Right. Nobody's righteous. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good clarification. I think those are ones that people would like the one about the Holy Spirit being a force, not being uh, clear. That's a major one, but I'm sure there's more confusion about, are you born innocent? Are you born guilty? Um, statement 22, worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regular attending, regularly attending church. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. So this is an interesting one because obviously no surprise, all everyone polled 67% agree in some form, but still with that 56% of evangelicals, over half of the evangelicals surveyed agree that you can just worship alone or worship with your family and, and you don't need to gather with the bride of Christ. Yeah. You're good to go on your own. Maybe maybe you want to YouTube a little bit in there and get some worship, get elevate worship going or something. Don't recommend elevate worship. Furtick. Gracious me. Get yourself. Do not listen get to Stephen Furtick. For those of you who haven't listened to us long enough to know that we're joking, we are joking. <laughs> Do not listen to Stephen Furtick. <laughs> and I'll just go on a limb and say I don't recommend elevation worship either. <laughs> uh, okay. You sing any of their songs? Are you guys like anti? Um, no, I'm not going to ask. We'll I was going to say, you, you want our church position or do you want my position? <laughs> so, I, 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 let's go to the next statement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but but actually, before moving to the next statement, okay. um, so worshiping alone with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. So it's not terribly surprising because we are coming out on the other side of COVID where a lot of churches just closed down and started to take things online and they were doing online worship and you were with your family in your house and people were consistently being taught that this is a valid replacement. You can do this alone or with your family Mm -hmm. rather than physically assembling. And there are some caveats to that. I still would say that that's that's not a valid replacement. Um, But it's not surprising that these numbers are what they are being in 2022 on this side of COVID. Well, and and I would say, and then that we're going to look at the, the next statement as well, which we'll just read that now, and then we'll, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, because the statement 24 says, every Christian has an obligation yeah. to join a local church. 51% of evangelicals um, agree with that. 51% say, yes, there's an obligation. So even smaller say, this isn't, this isn't even about attending, this is about joining, like committing, yep. being a part of, whether that's a formal or informal process. Um, but what I was going to say with, with COVID, I think, you know, and I'm, I'm not against churches who shut down or like uh, we all did all those things, you know, but I feel like getting opened back up churches and some churches did more harm than good in perpetuating this belief by right. staying closed, s- s- not creating somehow community, whether it's intentional small groups um, or Zoom, whatever. Like they weren't working to create this community. It was just kind of here's the YouTube link. Watch the show. Hope you're yeah. doing well. Send us a message if you need something. Right. Comment um, in the comments, and, letting us know you're here. Yeah, yeah. And then you hear the churches who are like, I haven't heard this in a while, but they're they're you know you talk to pastors. Pastors are always talking about their attendance, and they're oh like, goodness, yeah. Well, we have you know this many on Sunday, but then we have this many people streaming, and I'm like, you can't count well, that. We actually <laughs> grew <laughs> during yeah, COVID. Our online attendance went up. Like, oh, yeah, okay. you're like, bro, that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, right. um, nor does just people who are sitting in your seats. I would say anyway. Right. And and the, and the reason the reason we'd say that worshiping alone or with one's family is not a valid replacement for regularly attending churches because the regular pattern in the New Testament was that they gathered on the first day of the week because it was on the first day of the week that the Lord Jesus was resurrected, that he rose. And so now on the first day of the week, not only do we gather to be reminded of the fact that our Lord and our Savior did rise on this day, but we also are giving him our first fruits. It's the first part Mm -hmm. of our week. We want to give that to to the Lord. We want to give him our first fruits with our our finances. We want to give him our first fruits with our time. Like the Lord gets the first. Um, And Mm -hmm. he also was resurrected on the first day of the week. And then Mm -hmm. in addition to that, Hebrews 10 says, do not neglect 
the gathering as some right. are in the habit of doing. And so there's a command on Christians today to assemble, to gather. That's what the word church means, ecclesia. It literally means to assemble. And so if you're not assembling, then you're not part of a church. Um, and being a member of a church, I mean, Jesus uses the illustration of a body. Paul uses the illustration of a body um, to make the point that you come together and there's a there's different aspects of the body that are required for a healthy functioning body. And I use this illustration often, but if you're if your right hand were to be severed from your body and were to be off in the corner of the room, your body would suffer, but you could still live and be okay. Your hand would would wither and would no longer be functional. And so to be severed mm -hmm. from the body and not assembled with it is not going to be good for your spiritual health. The scriptures command it. It's the pattern of the New Testament. So worshiping alone or worshiping with your family is not a valid replacement for regularly attending church. You, you right. should still worship alone. You should still do family worship. Yep. But those yep. things should take place during the week. And then yep. you should devote that time on the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day, to gathering with the saints as we've been commanded mm -hmm. to do. And we know, like, there's exceptions to that. People who have physical ailments and, you know, are... are prohibitive we'd say divinely prohibited to gather providentially we would, we would say that uh they are few we need to be mindful of them and, and go uh, do everything we can as a church to love them and encourage them because they can't but there those aren't that's not the majority that's not um you know 50 65 50 56 percent of the congregation yeah <laughs> so um yeah, so we have a couple of statements left we're going to walk through here. Yeah, so... Statement 27. Go you ahead, talk read about that. that. Yeah, you, you read it. It says, Rob thinks gender Stop. identity is a matter of choice. Precious. Rob agrees. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> by 33%. Uh-huh, no. Gender identity is a matter of choice. <laughs> Rob's name is left out of there. And <laughs> US, U.S. adult respondents, um, what is that, 42% agree. Yeah which is discouraging to see that nearly half of U.S. respondents agree that gender identity is a matter of choice. It's not wildly surprising, but it is still discouraging. Um, yeah. What's even more discouraging is that 33% of evangelicals, so a third of evangelicals, yeah. believe that gender identity is a matter of choice. So if you if you just split the, the survey to 18 and 34-year-olds... It's thirty nine percent agree. Oh man! So it goes up by six percent, yeah, which is interesting. Um, and then if you shift down to like sixty five plus, it goes down to twenty four percent. But just so you see, kind of some, just some generational things there, right? But it is it is um, shocking that I mean this stuff wasn't even this wasn't even on people's radars ten years ago, really, right? This stuff is so is coming out of so fast. Like no one was really thinking ten years ago. Oh yeah, it's a choice, right? You know, um, people were like would say, "I I feel like I'm a, I feel like I'm a boy, even though I'm a girl biologically." And the response of the culture, rightfully so, would be would be to let me help you kind of bring your thinking in alignment with your biology, right? But now it's just flipped. It's like, well, let me try to alter your physical body to um match what you're to come into alignment with feeling. what you feel or think you are yeah yeah that, so that's even that even the saying that 33 percent of evangelicals i mean that's a that's a huge chunk yeah. like that's not five percent that's not three percent i mean it's obviously a third i mean the 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 fallout from this in 10 20 30 years is going to be crazy right and you read the answers to these questions about what evangelicals quote unquote say and think and believe and they are in no way prepared to handle the, what's coming you know because they don't even know what they believe they don't right. even believe orthodoxy and the the last statement we're going to look at statement 31 religious belief is a matter of personal opinion and is not about objective truth so it'd be interesting to know of these respondents who believes that objective truth is actually a thing is there such thing as objective objective truth hmm. of course obviously that question itself there's the irony in that 
um, to answer that question is to be objective. But the statement, you know, do we believe that their religious belief is a matter of personal opinion? So the evangelical response is 38%. Over a third of the respondents would say, yeah, uh, it's a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. So you think back to the the, the questions about what qualifies as an evangelical. The Bible's the highest authority. And it's important for me to share with this with non-Christians that Christ is their savior. Christ can save them. Um, Jesus' death is the only sacrifice that could remove, remove the penalty of my sin. And only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Like, I mean, these don't match up. You can't, you can't call yourself a Christian and say, well, there's, um, it just depends on your opinion for religion. Right. Right. That, that's, that's it. And at the end of the day, if you, if you do believe this is just personal opinion and it's not objective truth, then you shouldn't put your faith in it. You shouldn't, you shouldn't trust in it. You're staking your eternity on it. And if it's not objectively true, then, then really, I mean, why, why are you willing to, to suffer as a Christian? Why are you willing to, be made the refuse of all things, the the scum of the world. Um, yeah. Well, like, why are you? Yeah. Why would you go to church? Yeah. Why would you be a part of any of it right. if you're like, yeah, I think you know, it's 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 objective, whatever works. Well, look, make your own religion where you can sit and watch TV on Sundays or go play golf, and that's right. your way of salvation. Right. And and this is interesting because I'm looking at this, um, that the U.S. Evangelical finding from 2018 was 32% agree with that statement. Mm-hmm. And then it went down in 2020 to 23%. That religious belief mm-hmm. is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth, um, which is interesting to me. Like, that was encouraging. But then since then, mm-hmm. it's gone up to 38%. So from 2018 to 2022, it's gone up 6%. But from 2020, just two years ago, until now, 2022, it's gone up 15%. So wow. I find that to yeah. be to be interesting. I don't exactly have an answer for it, but but here's the thing, um, listeners. If you do listen to this, you, you you might not hear any of this episode because Rick, I was looking over here and it said right error <laughs> on it, and I'm a little frustrated. So <laughs> listeners, if, if you get this, then uh, praise God that you got some of this episode. You may have missed out on some of it, but Ooh. but yeah, I don't have an answer as to why that went from 23 to 38. I feel like that's a big jump, but who knows? I'm trying to look at that. What year are you looking at? Um, it's on the the summary. So if you go to the city of theology okay. and go to the summary and scroll, keep scrolling down, you'll see huh. um, statement 31, religious beliefs is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. So then you can okay. see the U.S. evangelical finding. You see that there? Uh, I was in another. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 32, 23, 38. I think that part of the, um, just like the last six years have the evangelical group, if you will, has kind of been put through the ringer with the political situation, the racial issues, um, just a lot of splintering and not unity. (laughs) Right. So I, I would think that contributes to that heavily yeah you're probably right yeah but yeah cool that's um so listeners if you want to look at this there are 35 statements we went through a handful of them um i mean I don't, maybe 10 or 11 of them but there are much more to be had on here you can kind of filter through the data you can filter mm-hmm. it out based off of where you are located see what it is basically in your region um, based off city size based off of ethnicity based off of household income all these things so you can kind of get a good idea as to what people around you what your neighbors may be thinking and it's a helpful evangelism tool to know this is what the people around me are likely thinking it could just help you Mm -hmm. frame some of those conversations but also if you're a pastor or if you're just a member of a church as you should be um you can ensure that all right this is what some of the people around me may be thinking and um, our hope is that your church is in a healthier state than this when it comes to theology, but don't take that yeah. for granted. Don't, don't think that you automatically are. Um, 
our people need to know what what truth is our people need to be pointed back to the scriptures we need to be diligent students of the word for the sake of our own souls but also for the sake of if you're a pastor those who you're leading but also just if you're a, a christian those who you may have influence and sway in their lives mm-hmm. and so we need one another to know the scriptures and to know them well and to consistently be pointing each other back to them for the way that we understand the world and the way that we understand god so yeah. let this data not just be discouraging because we, we pointed out the discouraging things that that's mm-hmm. what we wanted to talk about but let it m- even more than that be a motivator to get into the word and to yeah. help yeah. those around you whom the lord has given you influence to also get into the word mm-hmm. amen and to know that the lord builds his church and truly the gates of hell will not prevail against it and our faith isn't in oh we have a great pastor or we 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 have we preach we preach exegetically and use the esv and so we're safe (laughs) or you know those are good things have good elders all those things are good but your faith isn't in those people or those or those uh things it's in jesus christ and we'd be faithful to him and he will preserve his people. Yeah. And, and a last note, as you talk about elders and, and pastors, hold your elders and pastors to to that standard. Of, I, I was just yeah. talking last last week that we're all held to the same standard uh, mm-hmm. of there's no magical standard that pastors are held to that normal Christians aren't held to. However, pastors are judged more strictly off of that mm-hmm. same standard. And so we need to and, ensure that our leaders are students of the word and are faithful in taking what the word says and helping people understand it um, rather than just trying to go through topics that will draw more people in. That's right. That's right. Amen. Yeah. So it's, it's discouraging. I think it's also just, it's helpful to have a clear picture. Like we, we, we know what's really going on and um, you know, people like, Oh, there's churches everywhere. And you're like, I mean, you might call them churches. They might call themselves churches, but they're probably not churches everywhere. Right. Um, there are churches, praise God for that. And we all need to contend and strive to honor the Lord and faithfully follow Him. And um, yeah, that's good. Great. Rob, if you guys, uh, yeah, if you guys want to um, follow us, if you guys want to learn more about Simple Theology, head over to simpletheology.org. If you have any topics that you want us to discuss feel free to throw them in there um i'd say you can follow us on social media but we're really non-existent there anymore so feel free to follow us but you're not gonna get a lot of material but if you want to know anything (laughs) um, about us you want to see past episodes head over to simpletheology.org peace out peace out